0: Welcome to Season 5 of the Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast. I'm Lola Dada Ali. In the first episode of this season, we are graced by an autistic self-advocate, mom, wife, and a corporate diversity and inclusion executive, Amy Root. Amy recently sat down with me to talk about her journey to greater self-awareness professionally and personally, including how her later-in-life autism diagnosis helped her better understand and raise her children. So, with that in mind, let's get started. Amy Roots. Welcome to the Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Well,
1: thank you for having me. I'm actually very excited. I've been looking forward to this conversation, so thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Where do we begin? So, a little birdie told me or perhaps a a website informed me that <laughs> That you've lived in over 40 countries during your childhood, even. Yes. I I was
1: raised as a missionary kid. (laughs) My dad was a professor at a university on top of doing missions, um, but he also taught a lot of intercultural study work. So I got to travel the world with my family, which is wonderful. And I learned just so much about myself and other people. And I, I feel like it just. Changed my worldview and it gives me a, another level of compassion for humanity that I don't think I would have gotten otherwise. So I'm very grateful for those experiences.
0: Yeah, it's one thing to read about countries and books, it's another thing to truly have those lived oh, Totally.
1: Yes. And to get to experience different people and their, I mean, there's, there really are distinct cultures everywhere and they're just beautiful and how they interact with each other. So I'm just, as an autistic person, I'm very, aware of cultural nuances because I don't understand them, but I study them. And so I've I loved growing up, you know, experiencing all different cultures.
0: Is there a top five of the 40?
1: <laughs> oh uh, so I like them all for different reasons, but the ones that really stick out in my mind is I lived in Russia for, for quite some time and it was when it was the Soviet Union. But the people were beautiful. You know, there was a lot of scary things happening at that time and, you know, late 80s and 90s. But I just, I remember the resiliency of the people at large good, kind, loving, family oriented people. So that was one that I really enjoyed.
0: So you mentioned already that you are actually autistic. So we have that's right. Yet a wonder, yet another wonderful self advocate on this podcast. So I wanted to dig a little deeper. When were you first diagnosed?
1: I've always been autistic, obviously. I've I've just been so fundamentally different. And I've, I've been aware of that. And other people have definitely told me, you know, Amy, you're very different. But I didn't know what it was called until I was in my late 30s, which is fascinating to me because my entire life I've gone to therapists, counselors, and professionals. And, you know, I've been having mental health services since I was young, but it was never caught until my own child was diagnosed and she was six at the time it was kind of through school referral we went to go see a specialist and you know as this this specialist was describing what autism was there was just this big aha moment of these are experiences and things that I do I wonder if I'm autistic and I left there um, and of course I, I tried to learn more for my daughter how to be an advocate how to really best situation, our life for her. I was reading the story of my life when I read stories about autistic adults and it was just phenomenal. So I I later, it took about a year and I did get diagnosed later. On top of being autistic, I have a lot of other neurodivergence, which is important to note. You know, I I have definitely attention deficit, definitely have a lot of the disses like dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia. I, I have a lot of different types of of differences in the way that I read and I process information around me. Um, and I definitely have sensory integration differences. So for sure, everything that I touch and I sense is is magnified. It was just really that moment. It was about six, maybe even seven years ago. It changed everything for me. It was the most, it was just the most beautiful gift because at least I knew what it was and it's all making sense now. I've been able to unpack really my life and see it in a completely different way. So it was, it was honestly the best gift I could have ever been given.
0: I have to ask you, as an autistic woman, what I've heard from other self-advocates who are women is that they were often misdiagnosed before they got the right diagnosis. Was this also your story?
1: It was. It is my story. And that's why I continued, I think. I was getting diagnoses where They seemed somewhat right. You know, they were close, but they weren't accurate. The more that, and I even bought a DSM when I was in high school. I was so fascinated by the diagnoses I was given. And I just felt so misunderstood. I just felt like it wasn't quite right. And so I studied them all and I just, it wasn't quite right. But yes, I've been diagnosed with a lot of different things that have now been kind of retracted or at least saying, you know what? I think it's actually autism in the umbrella of all of this. You know, I still have anxiety and depression, but it's, yes, definitely the misdiagnosis I think is accurate because again, uh, with, with autism, you're just looking at the behaviors on the outside. And it's really, especially if you have problems communicating, being able to express what's driving it, you can get misdiagnosed. And it's not like something we can just peek into someone's brain and see what's going on. We have to go by self-report and we have to go by external behavior. And so I I do think that happens a lot to people. They get misdiagnosed, which is tragic because you can be mismedicated. You can be treated in a different way. Before I knew I was autistic, the mental health counseling and the, the therapy I was receiving was very frustrating to me because it wasn't taking into consideration my neurotype. And the fact that the advice they were giving me was valuable for a neurotypical person, but could be incredibly frustrating for somebody like me who Who is unable to do those things just because of my differences in like communication and just all of that and understanding the nuances of communication. So therapy is much better now, too, because I have a diagnosis and I can I can now get the tools and the and the skills that I need to be really successful.
0: For more context, could you further explain how therapists may have gotten things wrong in the past because they were looking at you as a neurotypical person?
1: For example, and, and, you know, maybe this is a wild one, but if you tell somebody that you hear things or, or see things in your mind that aren't there, that can be seen as uh, schizophrenia. You can also be, you know, um, synesthesia, not described well, <laughs> which is a part of differences in neurology. So it's, you know, maybe that's a poor example, but there's also things like I used the wrong words and the language a lot talking about stress and overwhelm. So they were treating me for stress instead of sensory overwhelm and instead of ADHD overwhelm, my inability to process things. It's it's how it's described can be viewed differently. And that's fundamentally important. I think that's also why we need shared language around some of this and and to teach people how to better describe their experience and even just hearing other people's experience. You know, the more that I listen to autistic adults and There's just so many aha moments where I'm like, that's exactly what I experienced, but I've described it this way. And I wonder if it's better described this way. So I I do think that mental health professionals and and therapists can potentially get it wrong. But again, it's just, you know, it's it's kind of a a little bit of a guesswork and it's hearing and seeing and understanding things in a different way.
0: So you mentioned that your child helped you to see more of yourself. Do you have more than one child? Do you have one child? How many?
1: Yes. So I have two children and a bonus daughter, but my, my two children, uh, they are so different than me, but they have very similar diagnoses, a a little bit different in some ways, but it's just so fascinating to see (laughs) how, how three people can be so different. I mean, yes.
0: So I reached out to you on social media after I saw one of your posts and it was about, I'm a sucker for self awareness. Like, I just, <laughs> everyone should really practice some form of radical introspection, whatever that looks like for you, having yes. <laughs> really close, truthful friends that can tell you about yourself while you're spending that extra time to figure out what makes you tick. Why are you the way you are? And you said something so beautiful. You talked about how. Now that you really understand yourself more, including being diagnosed with the proper neurotype, you're now able to self-parent almost a younger version of you while you parent your children in the present day. It was so beautifully put. Could you expand upon that? Yes. Please?
1: Well, thank you. i I was basically saying that I get the gift of reparenting myself as I'm parenting my younger children who have kind of similar neurotypes. And it's, I think that's a gift too, because, you know, my, my folks didn't know what was going on with me. And it's again, very hard to support and equip people when you don't really understand what's truly going on. And from the outside, the behavior can be seen as all kinds of things depends what lens you put on. And so I have just a beautiful gift as I'm unpacking and being much more self-aware and just kind of refiltering and reprocessing my past and giving myself a lot more grace because i'm not like a a broken typical person i'm a very successful neuro, you know neurodivergent person in a world that wasn't created for me and so i'm you know i'm kind of owning that and taking taking my story back but i get to do that while i'm raising children who are going through some of the painful things that i had and i have a different perspective now um i can pause I can explain things. I can tell them, you know, just from my experience where it could be seen as something different or how to encourage them to self-advocate for themselves or, you know, all the things that I, I now wish that I could have done. I'm allowing them and showing them that there's other ways to, to be and to accept themselves as early as possible. I mean, self-confidence, self-awareness, self-advocacy is so important and we just don't teach that a lot. And when we do teach it, a lot of those children are <laughs> penalized for that. So I'm just, it's been a really a good gift.
0: Are your children verbal?
1: Uh, yes. My oldest, not verbal for a long time.
0: Because I wanted to just touch upon how self-advocacy comes in many forms. It could be my daughter now is nine and she's starting to self-advocate with the help of her AAC device and then the vocabulary she does have. And it's just very interesting to see this little budding self-advocate coming about in a different form than what society is used to.
1: Oh, that's great. Yes. Does it give you a sense of pride and just, yes.
0: It truly does. Um, Her therapist reported today that she is spontaneously self-soothing. So when she gets she counts to 10, she crosses her hands, so she's self-soothing. and I was elated. I, I, I was elated. I know you could relate as, uh, yeah. as
1: a I'm still learning that as an adult, how to do that. So it's so great that she's doing that.
0: I'm oh, that's wonderful. So proud of her. So uh, along those lines, in a way, do you feel like you experience deja vu moments? I do.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I often wonder if that's part of my neurology or if that's just like, uh, yes, I do. Again, it's so good to see things from a different perspective and to offer that. You know, I feel like I'm a very pragmatic parent too, is I, I like to offer both sides. So there's an understanding because the one thing is being an autistic kid growing up, there was just a lot of confusion. There's it, The world is very confusing especially to people who take things a little bit more face value or have a a trust for things. And so, you know, that kind of understated, nuanced, passive communication or even passive aggressive style that a lot of people have, it's really confusing. So I get to give that to my kids and try to describe that. And I think it's really interesting conversations too, because when they describe their experience, I get to see things new too.
0: We've talked about navigating systems that were not designed for your type of brain and I would love to talk about that more because you also talked about being a very successful neurodivergent person so in your personal life as you've navigated different jobs from your very first job to when you became more experienced in what you do. Explain that navigation process, especially at the beginning, because oh, some goodness. of our listeners are younger self-advocates who are just starting, maybe looking at college, maybe looking at high school. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you could talk to us a little bit about once you enter that workplace, how did you first observe it and how did you start to navigate in order to
1: get to where you wanted to be? Yes. So that was a loaded question. There's a lot of systems not designed for us. But for me, again, I was diagnosed later in life and later in my professional career. So, I mean, and even now it's still a struggle, but I don't know if I did navigate well, but I will tell you some of the things that I did learn. You know, people, networking, I don't like that term, but connecting with people is vitally important for your own success, for your own. It's just so good to do and to find people that you trust and to ask for feedback from those that you trust and who have already shown for your best interest that they're going to do well by you. That's something that took me a lot of hurting. You know, I I'm typically be a little bit more trusting. So definitely find people who will really give you good, sound counsel and advice. <laughs> That's definitely something that has helped me. Um, and then stay connected with those people.
0: I wanted to ask you since you mentioned my last question was loaded, and I think this next one is also loaded. So prepare yourself. Other self advocates that are women, you already mentioned before that you thought you were, you were, well, you knew you've been misdiagnosed. Sorry, misdiagnosed. Do you think the healthcare system is better prepared to start diagnosing women with autism, or you think we still have a long way to go?
1: we have a very long way to go. (laughs) Still to this day, you get comments like, oh, you're autistic, but you're married, or oh, you're autistic, but you're a parent, or you're employed. And these are from professionals in the healthcare field. So I feel like we have a long way to go. I still think, you know, we're still, you know, that awareness, you know, autism awareness is, I wish that we were past it, but in a lot of ways, it's, Still not. And as far as diagnosing, my understanding is they're working on an adult diagnostic tool. I don't know much about that, but I sure hope that there are autistic advocates a part of that process, or else we could be getting it wrong again. That the tools that we have have been based on a very small subset and very stereotypical group of behaviors and people, and that that has I think been harmful. So I'm I'm really hoping that we can change at least the diagnostic tools and understanding to equip. You know, all these professionals and providers, so they know, uh, you know, I think there's a long way to go.
0: What does inclusion mean to you?
1: Oh, goodness, that's a great question. Yes. Where all people, a part of, uh, of a particular group, feel valued and respected and seen and heard just all of that, it is kind of that deep sense of belonging, but not, you know, that's kind of a a simple phrase that people use, but that true feeling of, of part of, you know, valued.
0: Could you tell us about a time earlier in your career that you were misunderstood? And now that you have the gift that is this diagnosis, you better understand that situation.
1: Oh, like all of them, (laughs) all of them, all of them. Oh my gosh. Yes. I remember so distinctly in high school. I loved to sing and I still love to sing, but I think my path would have been different. I had a teacher who was just really misunderstood me and I got in a lot of trouble and it was in music class, my favorite thing. And I loved to sing, but it really kind of steered me away from something because it was just, my behavior was misunderstood as Aggressive or loud or angry when I was really confused and overwhelmed and I didn't know it at the time. There was too much movement and sound and and I didn't understand the loudness of my own voice. There were so many things I didn't understand then myself, but I was definitely misunderstood. As you can tell, that's painful too. Those types, there's so many of those. I think early in my my career in the workplace, there were many times where I I like to make suggestions because I genuinely care. I'm a very purpose driven person. So, if I come to a supervisor or a boss and I give a suggestion, it can be perceived in a very, you're not doing the right thing or the right way versus a, I genuinely care or here, here are some ideas and solutions. So, I've had to learn to be a little bit more political in the way I talk, which is difficult for me, but I, I it's because my behavior has been misunderstood. You know, if you come at it from the lens of, of positive regard and and trying to seek to understand it wouldn't be perceived that way but I don't think that's uh, the way a lot of things work a lot of people don't work that way
0: what advice would you give parents who are not neurodivergent or parents like me or parents who are not like me who don't who don't have a 20 plus year head start being a caregiver to their sibling what what advice would you give these parents knowing that this is not for a season, but it's for a lifetime? How? What are the little things they can do to prepare their children for what's out there?
1: Yes. Good question. Deep question, too. I think, first and foremost, love them. There's no amount of teaching. Like, just love your children. Love them. Um, and then I think the bigger one uh, for me would be really listening or getting down and seeking to understand. Because even my own folks, my own family, if you see if you see a behavior or you see something presented to you, and you already you know, you assume it's from a certain place, you react in a certain way. And I feel like a lot of things could have been tampered had people seek to understand when I didn't have the language or ability to describe my experience and how it was so different. Than everyone else's, I think that is huge. So just ask more questions, understand, you know, maybe physically get down to a level of somebody who might be staring up at the ceiling fan, watching it go around and say, what do you see? You know, just engage in their world um, and ask questions and get involved. And I think those are two really big things.
0: If you're comfortable sharing, could you give us an example of a deja vu moment you've recently experienced? Maybe something that you experience as a child or that now you see one of your children now experiencing through the eye divergence?
1: This happened a lot and I I didn't understand it again until my late thirties, maybe even more recently, it started to have this effect on me, but losing friends growing up and being neurodivergent, sometimes especially autistic, you can have people that you are so close to and you spend so much time with. And I just remember losing friends all throughout my lifetime and literally having no understanding why. And that's painful. And I see my children going through that. And I think that has some to do with just differences in communication and expectations. And, you know, some people will address things and others won't. It's just, it's painful whenever you have a communication difference with people around you. So I definitely have seen a lot of deja vu moments and I've tried to encourage them, you know, your people, whenever they come, they will be your people forever. So just keep waiting, you know, keep caring about people.
0: Is your spouse neurodivergent?
1: He is. Yes. Oh, okay. he, uh, yes. He is not autistic, but definitely neurodivergent and uh, a good portion of his family is. And that is what tickles me to death too, is I, I, and my very best friends, all of them are neurodivergent. And it's funny because I didn't realize that, but I I do collect around people who think and behave and move and communicate differently. And there's just a different, I don't know, just a different way and a different cadence of conversation. And uh, I don't know, I love to hear people info dump. And that's one of the things that my (laughs) husband did. Just lots and lots of um, information. I just thought he was fascinating. So, yeah, (laughs) I I do think we kind of tend to flock together.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? Thank you so much
1: for taking time. really appreciate. It. I really appreciate it too. Just I'm really excited to see what happens in the field of neurodiversity in the future. I feel like especially in healthcare, there's just a a large you know amount of, of land to travel on getting to the other side of this and understanding. Um and really taking it from a we just need to seek to understand all of these differences and what they really mean and then creating environments that are more suitable for everyone like universal design like really creating uh, systems that are better
0: I dropped the bomb of inclusion you just dropped the bomb of universal design so what does universal design mean to you
1: yes it it is just considering all of those groups that have been excluded in the past or looking for areas of, of gap for certain individuals or through the lens of a particular a difference trying to find where all of the barriers are in a system and removing those that's what it means to be amazing thank
0: you thank you really and truly as always thank you for listening if you like what you hear Please share and subscribe. For those of you interested in how this podcast came to be, please check out season one of this podcast in its entirety, or check us out at notyourmamasautism.com. We've also chosen to tell part of our story in written form. For those interested in seeing written work of our journey, check out The Caregiver's Chronicles, a column on psychcentral.com. See you soon. Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast is hosted and written by my mom, Liladada Ali, and it's also co-written and produced by me, Fela My dad, little sister Alero, and I are all occasional contributors. My dad, Tosin Ali, also helps produce sometimes. Big thanks to my aunt, Olane Williams Ali, who did our graphic design. See you guys soon.